Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Bengals receiver Jamar Chase reportedly expected to miss four to six weeks with a hip injury that he suffered on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. Chase first hit hurt the hip in the week six win over the Saints. It looked like he re-aggravated it against the Falcons. He has not been placed on IR yet, but it's on the table for the Bengals. That's significant, Peter, because, my goodness, Jamar Chase is an awesome player. Now, look, Joe Burrow still gets the ball to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and moves it around, and they have Hayden Hurst and they have Joe Mixon, but this affects things because a guy that will strike fear in the hearts of defensive coordinators is going to be gone for several games. They've got the Browns, then the Panthers, and they have a week off, then they're at the Steelers, and they're at the Titans. But it really brings that Monday night game into focus because the Browns need this one at 2-5 and five, going into their bye they need to get to three and five and not two and six. And now the opening is there for the Browns that maybe they didn't expect if Chase, as reported, isn't going to play. Mike, if if you look at the Browns right now, this game on Monday, to me, is the game to make their season matter when Deshaun Watson comes back. Okay, so Watson comes back in a month and a month or so. And in order for those games to matter, instead of those games being just Deshaun Watson getting acquainted with his team and playing football again, so that heading into 2023, the Browns will have some idea what their offense is. You know, this game is quite literally a must win. And for the Browns, it's in Cleveland, so that helps. But what helps a lot more is knowing that the most dangerous player on the other side of the field isn't going to be there. Now, just as we would say, I'm not counting out Tom Brady. I'm not counting out Aaron Rodgers, which you'd be foolish to do on October 28th. But I would not count out Cincinnati without Jamar Chase for a simple reason. You go back to the Super Bowl. Who was the most important receiver in that game? Obviously, it was T. Higgins for the Bengals. If you For Cincinnati, I mean. Um, and you go back to other games since Joe Burrow has been there. And Tyler Boyd has been his number one guy. So that's why... A lot of people were critical of the Bengals saying that when they picked Jamar Chase and, you know, maybe they should have taken Panay Sewell, you know, whatever. But this shows you what when you have a franchise quarterback that you need to have depth at the receiver position because very rarely 
Are all of your weapons going to be healthy for 17 weeks in a long regular season? And this is a great example of why the Bengals, who get criticized for everything when it comes to, you know, drafting and scouting and all that and paying players, they did the absolute right thing because now they are backstopped, headed into a game that they need to have too to stay even with Baltimore in this division. I agree with everything you said. It's still easier if you have Jamar Chase on the field with Higgins and Boyd, but capable replacements for Jamar Chase if he's out four to six weeks. The Chiefs, in their post-Tyreek Hill existence, have gone with a smattering of guys who are getting it done. Travis Kelsey's still there. Juju Smith-Schuster had a big game against the 49ers. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, work in progress, rookie. It's fine. Now they've added Kadarius Toney, second-year first-round pick from the Giants. Disappointing reports of disagreements between the Giants and the Tony as, as, and the player Kadarius Toney as to whether or not he's, he's truly injured uh, with a hamstring that's kept him out. But, you know, Peter, this is a – relative low-risk proposition for the Chiefs when you consider the reward they may get. A third-round compensatory pick, which is going to be very deep in that stack of third-round selections. A 2023 rounder as well. Right. Yeah, so, so, and you get a guy who was a first-round pick. You get a guy that Urban Meyer coveted and said so. You get a guy that the Giants were thinking about taking at 12 until they had the opportunity to trade down to 20 and still get him. So... You know, this is a guy with a ton of talent. He potentially replaces the skill set of Tyreek Hill. He's got a long way to go to replace the production and the overall impact of a Tyreek Hill. But for what they gave up to get him and the fact that they're going to have him for three more years at very low salaries relative to what veterans are now getting, plus a fifth-year option, this, this is a calculated risk slash gamble by the Chiefs that could pay off in a huge way. And and what has Andy Reid done over the years? He's brought in players that have had issues, questions, problems, and they get under Andy Reid's wing, and they have no problems anymore, and they just perform. Oh, and by the way, Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. This is one that that – when it happened, it's like, man, I should have seen that coming because this is just a perfect destination for Kadarius Tony to try to turn his career around. Mike, I'll give you a little stat right now talking about, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, Mahomes is doing pretty well without Tyreek Hill. I'll tell you how well he's doing. His passer rating is 11 points better than it was last year when he had Tyreek Hill. And last year, Patrick Mahomes threw 37 touchdown passes. He's on pace right now to throw 49. And I think everybody is going to say, well, geez, you know, great players coming in. They've gotten on board. They've done this, all that stuff. It's very simple. If all of a sudden the squeaky wheel is gone, if all of a sudden the unhappy guy is gone, which Tyreek Hill was a lot last year, all of a sudden you come to work with a little bit of a different attitude. You come to work and one of the guys who's going to replace Tyreek Hill, Juju Smith-Schuster, always walks on the sunny side of the street. He's always happy. He is deliriously happy to be on Patrick Mahomes' team. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling, happy. Sky Moore cannot believe that he got drafted into this team. McCole Hardman, happy. Because now they're going to give him some of Tyreek Hill's stuff to run. And now Kadarius Toney, who was basically a non-factor slash jerk with the Giants. Okay? He comes in. And remember, last year, remember, it wasn't just Jacksonville. He was a much-desired player in the second half of the first round of this draft. And so, to me, Kansas City might have struck gold. The Giants did well to get what they got. But all this is for the Kansas City Chiefs is 
a player at a very reasonable pay over the next two years, very reasonable, who could come in and who could hit five home runs for you the rest of this year and help you make a deep playoff run. And I think the key is to have a guy who can stretch the field in that offense and draw some attention deeper into the secondary to make it easier for Travis Kelsey and Juju and others to find openings, but not so great that it becomes a crutch for Patrick Mahomes or a temptation. Patrick Mahomes had a knack of of trying to take full advantage of Tyreek Hill, and at times it worked. At times it worked well, like in the Super Bowl, to have Tyreek Hill open down the field and go get the ball, but they still need that. They still need that. That's a real threat. It has to be a guy who's fast enough and who is a real threat, but you don't want to overdo it because you want to run your offense. And I think that's what the Chiefs are trying to find. And again, it's a great investment. It's at a very low cost as receivers are getting 25, 26, 27 million a year. And, and we'll see what Kadarius Tony can do. But again, Andy Reid, expert. Hey, Mike. The best out of guys who have had, had issues elsewhere. Mike, there's one more point to make about this. When this trade happened yesterday, I just thought to myself, okay, so Kansas City, if they get some production out of Kadarius Toney over the next four or five weeks, okay, to me, I think the other impact of this trade is that whether or not they ever would have been in it, I think it all but takes Kansas City out of the Odell Beckham Jr. stakes. You know, whoever is going to get him for the stretch run. And to me, I've said this 53 times, that I think his impact on the 2022 NFL pennant race is being vastly overstated. But somebody is going to get him. And the reason I say that is that people are expecting him 10 months after his second ACL surgery in a year People are expecting him to come in and to be an impact guy in a playoff run, which I think is not necessarily smart. Be that as it may, I think Kansas City, if they get anything out of Kadarius Toney now, will not uh, be in the running for Odell Beckham Jr. I poked around a little bit on that yesterday because I had the first thought. They're out of it on OBJ. Now, by the way, I keep hearing it's going to be Buffalo, so it may not matter, but the, the the way to think of this is Kadarius Tony is a long-term play. Odell Beckham would be a short-term play. So there is room for both if it comes to that. But again, I think it's going to be Buffalo when it's all said and done that is Odell Beckham Jr.'s destination for the stretch run in 2022. Let's go ahead and take a break. We're actually ahead of schedule a little bit. That won't last long. We'll find a way to burn through that surplus in our time budget. But when we return, we'll rip through some of the best matchups for the eighth weekend of the 2022 regular season. We'll do that when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. Who is the starting quarterback? Yeah, we just finished the game. Is it fair to say if he's healthy, he's the starter? Uh, again, th- that's a hypothetical question. So let's let's see, you know, where that is and what that is. Have you named the starting quarterback for the Sunday yet? I don't see how it goes here today. I took full workload yesterday. Uh, I expect him to be fully available here for the game, ready to go. There he is, Bill Belichick. One day after another with mixed signals and confusing messages about this quarterback controversy that officially isn't but kind of is. Used both guys on Monday night. Mac Jones injured. I heard he was about 90% going into that game. Now he's off the injury report altogether. No treatment, no anything. Ankle is fine, and he will be the starter when the Patriots travel to face the Jets. I still – this is one of those things where – and there's a lot of these this season where you look at it and your eyes don't want to process the message to your brain – Patriots three and four, Jets five and two. Surely that's a typo. It is not. But 
But on top of that, Peter, despite the differences in records, the Patriots are two and a half point favorites because the gambling public still looks at three and four Patriots, five and two Jets and says, nah, that's that's not the way that the world is. Mike, I demand that you stop calling me Shirley. However, (laughs) I guess my biggest point on this would be that you know, in watching that Monday night game, and man, you and Sims must have had a field day on Tuesday morning, uh, dissecting a game in which the Chicago Bears scored 98 points against the Patriots, which was just, I, you know, I was listening to that game a little bit on the radio because I was out and about doing some work out of the house. But what was amazing at one point, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner on Westwood One were musing about when was the last time that the Chicago Bears scored on five consecutive possessions. And if you had told me that they would score on five consecutive possessions against a Belichick defense that was playing great, by the way, entering that game. And that is why, Mike, how can anybody gamble on the National Football League. It is insane. You shouldn't do that. Anyway, the one point I would make about your point and about the Patriots and the Jets this weekend is that, look, Bill Belichick handed the ball to Brady Zappi, okay, after a bad interception from Mac Jones. Whatever Belichick says, oh, they both were going to play. Whatever it is, he handed the ball to Bailey Zappi. And in the deep recesses of his mind, he's thinking, okay, kid, show me you deserve this starting job. And Bailey Zappi went out and was great in the first couple of series or pretty good. And then he basically, you know, gave away his chance through two picks, uh, was totally ineffective, couldn't get anything going. And so I kind of look at this right now and I say... Uh, you know, Mac Jones now returning serve. All right, Mac Jones, it's your ball game now. It's your opportunity to win this job full time. Go out and do it Sunday in the Meadowlands. And it's amazing to think that he even has to at this point. He was the 15th overall pick. The team went to the playoffs. Look, Peter, this is something Sims and I have been talking about. I've been hearing it for weeks now. There's some sort of dysfunction, tension, whatever that is rooted in Josh McDaniels out as the offensive coordinator and primary tutor for Mac Jones and this Frankenstein monster of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge becoming offensive coaches on the fly. It's a huge difference for Mac Jones, and I think that's created some consternation that has affected the relationship between Belichick and Jones. But we'll see. We'll see. Will he be on a short leash if he throws a couple of interceptions? I don't know. The only good news for Mac Jones is it's a road game, so he doesn't have to hear the fans chant for Bailey Zappi. Then again, after what we saw in the second half last week, maybe they won't be chanting for Bailey Zappi anymore. Look, you know, Mac Jones just has to forget all that stuff. And he was the classic underdog at at Alabama. Everybody knows that... Nick Saban never looked at this guy the way he looked at Jalen Hurts or Tua Tonga-Valoa. We know that, okay? But he fought his way into being a first-round pick in the NFL. And now he's got to ignore the noise. He's got to ignore people saying, no touchdowns, four interceptions over the last two games. Shaky down the stretch of last year. Bad, bad game in the playoffs, uh, you know, against Buffalo. He's got to ignore all that. And he's got to be the rock-solid, steely guy that the Patriots thought they had, you know, around midseason last year when he stepped in and basically in all ways looked like a worthy heir to Tom Brady. Not like Tom Brady Jr., but a worthy heir to Tom Brady. So if Mac Jones is really good, he's going to ignore all that crap and he's going to come out and play well. And he's got to play well on Sunday 
to basically show Bill Belichick whatever it is. Coaches leave all the time. You can't use that as an excuse. And coaches leave all the time. And, and I just look at New England right now as needing one of these guys to step up. Mac Jones, your turn Sunday in the Meadowlands. And Peter, it's a great point. I mean, this is like a mental toughness litmus test. And if you can't deal with this, you're never going to be able to deal with the pressure in the postseason, something Tom Brady was so adept at for all of his years with the Patriots. You mentioned the Bears scoring on five straight possessions. And one of the reasons I think the Bears played so well is because they had 11 days between a Thursday night game against Washington and their next game. And I've noticed a trend. There are five teams this year that get the 11-day break, the longest time you can have between games without a bye on the NFL schedule, and the Bears made the most of it. And I point that out because now you got the late-night Monday flight back to Chicago, short week. You got to go to Dallas and play a Cowboys team that is very good and Dak Prescott had a chance to knock the rust off, so we have the three and four Bears at the five and two Cowboys. I mean, this is a game that I think the Bears could win if they play like they do on Monday night, but Peter, there's a chance they just went all in on trying to turn their season around to beat the Patriots, and now they got this short week challenge of trying to go to Dallas and knock off a pretty good Cowboys team. It's it's not going to look as easy on Sunday for the Bears as it did on Monday night. Look, what has happened, I think, with Justin Fields, and I think we saw it, is that in the last couple of weeks, Luke Getzey, the offensive coordinator of the Bears, has said, I think Luke Getzey entered this year saying, I really want Justin Fields to be a mostly from the pocket guy. I don't want him exposing himself to injury the way that he had been. Uh, I want to make him a passer. You know, a guy who can run when need be, but I want him to be a pocket guy. And the last two weeks, here's what you've seen out of Justin Fields. 26 carries, 170 rushing yards. And Mike, you know, that is any running back in the league would be thrilled with that because you're basically running for eight yards a carry. So to me, I think Luke Getze understands now that especially against a really good pass rush team like the Cowboys. Okay, I'm going to use Micah Parsons' instincts and speed against him. I'm going to have our quarterback, who's a great athlete also, I'm going to have him stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. Here comes Micah Parsons, and then it'll be a design run all along. So we'll see what happens. But I think, you know, you're going to see every week now a lot more design runs for Justin Fields than you saw very early this season. Yeah, that game against Washington a couple of weeks ago, all the runs were scrambles, no designed runs. And I think they finally realized this is the guy we have. This is great coaching. I don't care what my system is. I don't care what my playbook says. Here's what my player does well. I'm going to let him do it. And I'm going to take advantage of those skills. Because once Justin Fields takes off, the Bears gain yards, the Bears score points, and the Bears pulled off that unlikely win in New England on Monday night. All right, the Giants at the Seahawks. The only game the entire week, 15 games this weekend, this is the only one with two teams above 500. The Giants 6-1, and one, the Seahawks 4-3. and three. And the Seahawks are favored by three at home. That's not a surprise. The Seahawks have been better than expected. The Giants have been better than expected. This is one of those where something's got to give. One of these teams that's overachieving isn't going to win the game, barring a tie, Peter. Can you see... Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Brian Dayball and company taking it across the country and knocking off a Seahawks team that I think people are still having a hard time accepting is a very good team. The reason that they're having a good, a hard time accepting it, Mike, is that the Seattle defense, it's not the Legion of Boom, may never be the Legion of Boom, but they got a bunch of young players who are playing great uh, right now and who are playing <clears throat> at a level that sort of, you know, kind of goes against what recent John Schneider drafting had been, you know, because for a few years they had some dry spots in the draft. 
but Schneider has hit a gold mine this year. And I'm talking about even lower picks like Kobe Bryant, a young cornerback. And and I'm talking about guys, obviously everybody talks about Tariq Woolen, the uh, you know, the corner who had interceptions in four straight games. But they're playing very well on defense. And I think the key thing in this game is that the Giants basically went to Jacksonville and said, we're going to have to run great to win this game. And they did. I mean, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, both over 100 yards. And, and I think the one thing you're seeing with the Giants, they can adjust to a weakness that they see in a defense. I think the difficult thing right now in this game is that, you know, Seattle has played well against the run. You know, maybe not, you know, as well as the best teams in the league, but they have played well against the run. And the Giants, I don't know if they have enough receivers, tight ends right now to make impact plays in that game. So to me, if the Giants don't run well Sunday, Mike, I like Seattle and I like them a lot. Well, and one of the reasons I like Seattle is Ken Walker III is phenomenal. And we made him our offensive player of the week at PFT, which means absolutely nothing. But the point that I made when I tweeted out the image of Ken Walker as the offensive player of the week, or rookie of the week, not offensive player. Uh, Burrow was the offensive player. But Walker could be the best rookie running back since Adrian Peterson in 2007. And that upset some Giants fans who said, well, Saquon Barkley had 2,000 yards from scrimmage in 2018. Okay, fine. But he never had that vibe that Adrian Peterson had in 2007 where he can, ta- he can do this, where he turns the corner and he's gone, or he can hit it between the tackles and he's gone. A home run lurking on every snap, every touch. That was what Adrian Peterson did, and we all collectively said, holy crap, what are we witnessing? Now, we haven't seen much of it from Walker because he was out week one as he recovered from some sort of abdominal surgery. It was a hernia. It wasn't a hernia. Who the hell knows? He had surgery and he missed that game. And they've eased him in. And now, especially with Rashad Penny done for the year, you get a full dose of Ken Walker. Peter, he's going to have a 200-yard game soon. He's trending in that direction. And they're recognizing. And Pete Carroll's going to, hey, this guy can get it done. We've been waiting for a great running back who can stay healthy since Marshawn Lynch. We have him. We're going to use him. And and, uh, this could be the day that he gets 200. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen at some point this season. Yeah, and Mike, I think the one thing that you say, and you're absolutely, totally right, is that Seattle wants to be a running team. They're one of those teams that, even though Geno Smith leads the NFL in completion percentage, and you know he's completing 73 and a half, and, 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 and he's been fantastic. At the base of it, Pete Carroll wants to be able to be the best running team in football. And right now, if you look at it, it's amazing. You know, when Carson, uh, Chris Carson was, uh, you know, had to retire because of injury in the offseason, you say, wow, there is a real war horse that Pete Carroll loved to ride. But they drafted a guy, and you're right about this, Mike. I don't think they could have seen Kenneth Walker be as impactful as he is very early. And on that 74-yard run the other day, you just looked at that and said, this is a confident runner. And, you know, if they keep running the ball like this, this is going to be a playoff team, Mike. I know people are going to say, oh, it's early, everything like that. Tell me right now, why, why won't Seattle make the playoffs? They're going to make the playoffs. And the reason is they're playing football the way Pete Carroll wants to play and the way he preaches it should be played. And it's happening in the season in which his approach is being validated by the performance of his former quarterback who wanted to be the guy who runs the offense. Now he's the guy that runs the offense in Denver and the offense isn't running for Denver 49ers and Rams, San Francisco three and four. They've lost two in a row. The Rams coming off of their bye. They're at three and three. The game is at SoFi stadium, which is basically Levi's stadium. South Kyle Shanahan 
has beaten the Rams seven straight times in the regular season. The Rams won the one that counted last year in the in the NFC Championship. But, you know, Peter, the 49ers are one-and-a-half-point favorites. I, I, I feel like we're just waiting and waiting and waiting for the Rams to wake up and be the Rams they were last year. And they still have some good parts, but they aren't getting it done. This is just a bad matchup for them because Kyle Shanahan, if he has enough key guys healthy, he's going to know what to do to win this game, and he needs this one. You can't fall to 3-5 and five if you're the 49ers, especially with the Seahawks playing well. This is their arch rival. This is why they went after Christian McCaffrey. The Rams would have otherwise tried to get him. McCaffrey's got another week in the system. I, I just I have a hard time believing, even with two weeks to get ready for this, that the Rams are going to be able to find a way to solve the 49ers in the regular season. First of all, I find it absolutely amazing that in calendar year 2022, this will be the fourth time that the Rams and the 49ers have played. Because think about it. They met in week 18 last year, which was in January. Then they met in the NFC Championship game in late January. And now they've won. They've met twice. They will have met twice in October. <clears throat> and the one thing, Mike, we talked before, what a vital game this is for the Cleveland Browns. You can't fall to two and six and have any hope for the rest of your season to mean much, okay? The San Francisco 49ers, if the Browns have the most important game in the AFC, the 49ers have the most important game in the NFC for a very simple reason. You lose your first two with after making this mega trade for Christian McCaffrey. And if McCaffrey doesn't own this game, you know, rushing and receiving, there's going to be an awful lot of questioning inside the 49ers about who exactly they are. Fall into three and five after making this big deal. This game is crucial for the Niners. McCaffrey was on the field for 22 offensive snaps last weekend against the Chiefs, 28% of the total load. 10 touches, and, you know, they were putting out the word he was going to have a red zone package. He had one red zone touch. He had 10 in all. What's your over-under for Christian McCaffrey touches now that he's had more time to get himself properly ensconced with the team? Ensconced in velvet, Mike? Exactly. I, uh, I was hoping you would catch I, that. I would say over-under for his touches will be 26. And I realize that's a lot. But I think Kyle Shanahan understands exactly what this game is. This game is vital for the 2022 playoff hopes of the 49ers and to be able to stave off Seattle and the Rams and win this division. So I think he takes his new toy, who's been healthy the whole year, and he says, I need him right now. And you know, what's more, Mike, Christian McCaffrey wants this. You know, as I wrote the other day in my column, one of the things that Shanahan said to me, um, and this was well reported last week on all the shows, is that when, when they just completed this trade, John Lynch said, is he, you going to play him this weekend? And he said, no, nah, I can't do that. I, I wouldn't do that. But when they got on the phone with McCaffrey, one of the first things that McCaffrey, after the trade, one of the first things McCaffrey said is, Hey, coach, I need the iPad with our playbook. How soon can I get that? And it's 2,000 miles away at this point. And he said, well, you'll get it in the morning. But, you know, I think right then they knew that they were going to have a package of plays ready for him. And you heard Christian McCaffrey after the game on Sunday when he said, I'm going home and I'm going to study tonight and all week, and I'll be ready for a full dose next Sunday. So I'd be surprised, Mike, if they didn't feed him early often, and my over-under is 26. On Tuesday, Aaron Rodgers aired out some dirty laundry regarding his thoughts as to teammates making mistakes at a one-out-of-five clip in Green Bay, and then he doubled down on Wednesday. How will the Packers respond to that when it's time to go face the Bills as double-digit underdog? We'll take a look at that game when PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel, continues right after this. 
Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. You know, I love it. It's, it's kind of rare, which is, means we've won a lot of games around here. Uh, but to be a double-digit underdog is a different spot for us. And I hope we embrace that role because uh, probably not going to be like this for a while. Every year you got to re-kind of learn how to win. And I just think that sometimes when you're in a rut uh, and you've lost some games in a row, it's, it's not a bad thing to kind of embrace that underdog role. Uh, embrace the fact that now nobody's expecting you to win. Um, and in that scenario, you can maybe play a little freer. Maybe the pressure loosens up a little bit. Maybe in your mind you can slow things down a little bit. It's been a strange year of nevers. Tom Brady never two games under 500. Aaron Rodgers never a double-digit underdog. And we, we alluded to that mindset earlier. And you do what you can to make it into a positive and I think there is a certain freedom that comes from being expected to lose and to lose soundly. I don't know that the Green Bay Packers have the personnel to make a difference against the Bills. Maybe they'll prove us all wrong. Look, we've seen crazier things happen. The gap in talent in the NFL between the best team and the worst team is narrower than ever before. But the Bills seem to be the one team that really stands out. And it's a Sunday night game. They've had extra time to get ready. They've looked dominant at times this year. The Packers have felt lethargic and lost and just not like the Packers we're used to seeing. Who knows? Maybe that mindset works. Maybe the Packers get lucky early and they, they get up by seven and then maybe there's a mistake and they're up by 10. And the next thing you know, there's urgency by the Bills and it starts to slip away. I don't know. There's a path. It's not impossible, Peter. I just I have a hard time seeing it. With this Bills team, any other team in the league they were playing this weekend, I'd say, okay. But then again, they wouldn't be double-digit underdogs. They're double-digit underdogs because the Bills are so damn good. They're not beating the Buffalo Bills. I mean, you know, who's beating the Buffalo Bills now anyway? Coming off a bye, rested, rehabbed, refreshed. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know who's beating them now. <clears throat> but... Mike, I, I found myself thinking this week when I was thinking about Rodgers. You know, I look back to his first year, the year he replaced Brett Favre in 2008. And I go back to that year and thought, what did I think of Aaron Rodgers at the time? I mean, I thought he had a pretty good year, but they were 6-10. and 10. He wasn't great, but he was pretty good that year. You know, and a lot of hope for the future. Well, this year, you know... Aaron Rodgers is throwing, is, is not as good as he was that year in terms of his production. And I find myself thinking how much of it is just simply that he's getting used to so many new pieces on offense. And he's kind of had a revolving door at left tackle and all that. And I think when he talked about his receivers the way he did this week, I think... I don't even want to say it was a desperate cry. It wasn't because Aaron Rodgers doesn't do things in desperation. In my opinion, it was fairly calculated. And he's basically saying, especially, I think, to Romeo Dobbs, hey, listen, if you were a piece of fine china and I couldn't trust you, I wouldn't be saying in public you're making too many mental mistakes. But you know why I'm doing this? I'm doing this because you got to know this is the big leagues, kid. And you need to make plays starting Sunday. And you've got to stop the mental errors. And I don't even know if Dobbs is the biggest culprit. You know, but what I, what I really thought is he's telling his guys, he's putting them on blast. And he's saying, uh, no excuses. Don't give me excuses. This is the Green Bay Packers. 
step up to the dish and start playing right. Well, and look, one of the issues that has given him great concern is his perception that they're not putting in enough time away from the facility. That came up on Wednesday when he was asked how the mistakes could be eliminated. We have a schedule. We're creatures of habits. When we leave this place, we've got to be making sure we're doing the right thing when we're home. Some of that's watching films. Some of that's studying the plan. Some of that's studying ourselves. But we've got to make sure we're ready to go every single day we step into the building. And, Peter, I see an irony in there because this fits with a talking point that I've been hammering all year long. You have this revamped receiving core with Devontae Adams out. You've got these young players there who are going to be naturally freaked out by Aaron Rodgers. This is not the year to exercise your right under collective bargaining agreement to stay away from the voluntary offseason workouts. This is the year to be there. This is a year to gather with those guys in the offseason, to get to know them then. So you're not trying in the day-in and day-out grind of training camp to establish the rapport that you need with all these young guys who have been watching you play football their entire lives. He needed to break down that wall, Aaron Rodgers did, and get those guys comfortable so he could get to the point where he can trust them and he has the, you know, we've talked a lot about what authority Tom Brady really has when he skips out of a Saturday walkthrough practice and meetings and everybody else is still there. Well, Rodgers skipped out of the offseason program and didn't do anything to go above and beyond the call. Now he wants his guys to go above and beyond the call when they're working day in and day out. He wants them to do even more when he wouldn't do anything back during the period of the year when there's nothing going on. So it's kind of hard for me to accept what Rodgers is saying now because he had a clear opportunity to get these guys more comfortable with him so they could get more comfortable on the field, so he could get more comfortable throwing the ball to them and knowing they're going to be in the right spot. Yeah, one of the things that the Packers have known in the last few years, and Rodgers saw it with Brett Favre late in his career, he wasn't going to show up in Green Bay for the non-mandatory stuff. And, you know, look, you can say that, okay, so this one year he should have, That's arguable, no question about it. But Aaron Rodgers has chosen in his four months away from football to be away from football. And I think this is something that the union fought for. I think it's something that, uh, you know, over the years, you don't have mandatory voluntary uh, programs that start in mid-March. And, you know, and last till, you know, June 25th. And I think Rodgers is well within his rights. And you're right, Mike. You can't within his rights, Peter. Yeah, he's within his rights, but they're paying him 50 freaking million dollars a year. And he's worried about his legacy. He wants to win a Super Bowl. I mean, you either want to do what you have to do to get your team in a position to win a Super Bowl or you don't. And for 50 million a year. When you don't have many seasons left in the NFL, I'd like to think you can find it in yourself to show up and help these young guys that you're going to be calling out during the season because they're not maturing fast enough for your liking. You can help them in the offseason. I just, I don't want to, I don't like this excuse making for guys making 50 million a year. A lot of us make a hell of a lot less than that and we bust our asses every single day. Oh, I need my four months away. Who the hell needs four months to shut down and do nothing? I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't buy that. I don't buy it, especially if he's going to exercise I his do. prerogative to I call do. people out and say people can't handle the truth. He needs to handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Hey, Mike, you know, why did the union fight for that if you're going to force everybody to be there for everything in the offseason? I'm not saying that. I'm saying the guy making $50 million who's going to bitch about his receivers during the season should be there when the time is right maybe. to get them ready. That's my point. That's our, that's, it's, it, your, your point is well taken. All I'm saying is that, uh, in my opinion... He is within his rights to not show up in the offseason and to force him to do so just because he's got some young receivers. I, I'm just, I'm not one of those guys who says he's got to be there. I just, I, I'm I, not. 
I'm not saying he should have been forced by anybody. He should have wanted to. He should understand. I mean, this is the great deep thinker. This is the really smart guy who went to Cal that we're all in awe of his brain. I'd like to think somewhere in those synapses and neurons he'd realize, I got a lot of young guys that are going to be freaked out just by my presence. I'm going to walk through the door, and they're going to, they're going to pee in their pants. That's Aaron Rodgers. These guys are 21, 22 years old. You want Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson to figure it out? you got to be there with them and show them, I'm one of the guys. I'm working with you. Let's go run some routes. Let me see how you break out of the route. Let's do the seven. Let's do the eight. Let's do the nine. That's all the, that's the, if you want these guys to be locked in and do what you need them to do in October, November, and December, the time to lay the foundation for it is March, April, and May. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I feel better now. Serenity now. Serenity now. Let's take a break. Uh, George Payton, no serenity for the Denver Broncos. He spoke yesterday about his head coach and his quarterback. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Russell's contract, you know, did you consider waiting to see him play before you gave him the contract extension? And then why did you go ahead? Yeah, I mean, we, we considered everything, Mike. I mean, you know, we just want to get ahead of the contract cycle. We had saw how Russ was, you know, in the offseason and training camp felt really good about Russ. We feel really good about Russ. Um, just really wanted to get ahead of it. Uh, we, we didn't want a lot of distraction uh, during the season. We feel really good about it. I feel good about that deal. I feel like it will hold up. I feel good about Russ. I'm not really surprised that the guy responsible for negotiating a contract and giving all of the Walmart money to Russell Wilson at a time when he's yet to do anything to show that he deserves it and has created a scenario where and, and I, I look at it this way. I, he's, he's saying what he's got to say. George Payton, GM of the Broncos. He's saying what he has to say, Peter. If we would attach him to a polygraph or inject sodium pentothal into his veins and ask him, would you give that contract right now to Russell Wilson that you gave to him on August 31? The answer would be no. I wouldn't. And we all know that. I'd wait. The hell with the quarterback contract cycle and getting ahead of the curve. I'd wait to give him that contract. I wouldn't give him that contract based upon what I've seen through the first seven weeks of the season. Um, That was, and again, I like George Payton. I respect George Payton. I think George Payton is very good at his job. That's the most meaningless soundbite of the 2022 season. (laughs) Meaningless. Absolutely, totally meaningless. Do you think even if George Payton had to be dragged kicking and screaming to address the press after what we've seen with Russell Wilson in the first six weeks, his first six games, first seven weeks of this season, do you think that he was going to say anything other than uh, Russell Wilson's our guy, we love him, I'm happy we did the contract, blah, 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 blah. Now, Mike, there's a reason why they did that contract at the time. And I think it had the Walmart fingerprints on it because in business, you have to know that you have to try to predict the future. And... Whatever the Russell Wilson, however you calculate what his contract really is worth, let's just say it's $46 million a year. Or, or you pick out any number if you want to add the existing time to it and divide it by seven instead of five or, or whatever it is. Whatever. Everybody in that organization knew that with Joe Burrow, with Lamar Jackson, with Justin Herbert coming and who knows when they're going to come or, you know, in the negotiating season of 2023, no one knows quarterback prices never go down ever. And just as Joe Flacco, no one thought that Joe Flacco was the best quarterback in football a decade ago. And when he got $20.1 million a year and became the first, the highest paid quarterback, highest paid player in NFL history, if you waited a year for Russell Wilson, obviously you had no idea that he was going to be playing like this. None. Zero. I don't think John Schneider and Pete Carroll thought he would be playing like this. 
So, you know, to me, it's a classic second guess. You know, and I understand it's going to wound this franchise going forward if Russell Wilson doesn't recover. But I I think it's pretty logical why the uh, Broncos did what they did. And look, they had to do it once they traded for him. They had to give him a contract at some point. But even then, I think they would like to to be able to say we waited because they wouldn't give it to him now. Here's George Payton talking about the confidence that he has in his first-year head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. I believe in Nathaniel. You know, he, uh, I support Nathaniel 100%. Um, he's been in this seven games, you know, as a head coach. Uh, the scrutiny he's, he's faced is, is unprecedented. You know, we've had four primetime games, so he's kind of had to learn in front of the entire world. Um, but I really like how uh, the team, he's, he's, he's kept the team together. He's, they're connected. He's kept our building together. Um, and I appreciate how he's fought through that. And again, this is something you have to say because you're the guy that hired him. And when it's time to evaluate Nathaniel Hackett, maybe the Walmart moguls evaluate George Payton as well. Maybe they decide we didn't hire any of these people and we can afford their buyouts in the blink of an eye. We're going to go get our own GM and our own head coach. But Hackett, when you look at what these other first-year head coaches have done, and hey, Matt Eberflus should be on that board as well. We saw him do something Monday night, which was pretty impressive, take 11 days to get ready self-scout, prepare for the Patriots, and beat them by 19 points. Nathaniel Hackett stands out as the guy who's not getting it done. And, Peter, we've seen this. You've been covering the league longer than I have. Seen it time and again. Some offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators become good head coaches. Plenty more don't. And there's only one way to find out. You let them do it. And the question is, how many times do we have to spin the wheel to see – that Hackett just doesn't have it. And I think, based on everything I've experienced covering the league for 20-plus years, I can just tell there's something missing there. He doesn't have it. And I know that they've got four primetime games, That's, but still, st- I don't care. It's no different when you're in the stadium. You're still there. You're still making decisions with 70,000 people around you. I, I, just, I feel like... He needs to be concerned about what the Walmart people are thinking because they didn't hire him and they could very easily move on to someone else. And George Payton's going to say what he said because he's the guy that hired him. Mike, uh, the two things that come to mind after, you know, in, in this discussion, the Chicago Bears, as we approach the season's midpoint, have a better record than the Denver Broncos. That is slap in the face stunning to me. Stunning. And the second thing that is kind of slap in the face stunning is that if you look at the way the Denver Broncos have played, if you are a great offensive uh, you know, strategy person, then, and you see your quarterback is struggling, you need to figure out some alternatives. And Nathaniel Hackett, I think, has not been good at coming up with alternatives when your quarterback is struggling to make you better. And, and you know, I just can't help but think there's two things that really bother me. One is when you saw the, the, the shots uh, in the Amazon game, the Thursday night game, uh, either at the start of overtime or early in overtime of a crowd that was so fed up with what they've seen uh, against the Indianapolis Colts that they were leaving. They were leaving the stadium in droves when the game was still on, when you're in overtime, they're leaving. Let's get home. I can't watch any more of this crap. And the second thing is, and look, I don't know what happens inside the team. But Melvin Gordon has been awful this year. Awful. And, you know, he spoke up, I should be getting the ball or I should be starting. I, you know, all this stuff. And so what does Nathaniel Hackett do? He announces Melvin Gordon as the starter that week. And, and you know, look, I don't know what happens inside the team. I don't know why that decision was made. 
but it didn't strike me as a decision that was made for the best of the team. It struck me as a decision made by the head coach to put the fire out in a difficult issue when you have a better guy behind Melvin Gordon than Melvin Gordon. So I, I, just, I, I just get a bad feeling about this team. Well, and we'll see what happens if they lose to the Jaguars on Sunday in London. What happens in the bye week for the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett? All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, show me something for week eight on this Friday edition of PFT Live presented by the Broncos. It's a Friday in-season tradition, the show-me-something draft. Not necessarily somebody who's under pressure. This could be positive. This could be negative. This could be whatever we choose it to be. We are just particularly focused on certain individuals that we want to see what they can do and how they do it. Peter, you're up first. Show me something for week eight. Show me something, Zach Wilson. And I say show me something, Zach Wilson, not because... Uh, I think he needs to throw for 375 yards. I think he's playing a team that has been his franchise's daddy for years, whatever it is, 14 wins in a row in this series. And you don't need Zach Wilson to come out and be Dan Marino. You need Zach Wilson to come out and win a game the New York Jets should win after the loss of a huge offensive weapon in Brees Hall, with more pressure on your shoulders against a tarnished Belichick team. Show me something, Zach Wilson, that you can win a big game against a team that has owned your franchise since you were in high school. Show me something, Sam Ellinger the new starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts under difficult circumstances where there will be guys in the locker room who are wondering what in the hell is going on. Why isn't Matt Ryan playing? It's a business decision, plain and simple. They're getting Matt Ryan off the field because they don't want him to be injured when the season is over and they don't want him to be unable to pass a physical when March rolls around. Otherwise, you got $17 million that will be guaranteed for Matt Ryan. So he's not going to be back next year. He's off the field this year. It's all on Sam Ellinger. And they want to see what he can do, and we all want to see what he can do in a game that is winnable at home against the Washington Commanders. Show me something, Christian McCaffrey. We talked about it earlier in the show, Mike, but Christian McCaffrey was brought in to win games that the 49ers have to win to be a division champion. This is a game the 49ers have to win. And... You go play the Rams at SoFi. You play them for the fourth time in 10 months. And the reason why I think this game is particularly important is that the Rams are a little bit of a wounded animal. They're not who they were last February. But this is a game that the reason you made this trade is to win this division, to get a high seed in the playoffs, And after getting embarrassed in the first game, and a lot of teams would have gotten embarrassed against Patrick Mahomes, it's time to give Christian McCaffrey a full load to let him touch it 25, 28 times and be the dominant force that he needs to be for the 49ers to get bang for their buck in this trade. Show me something, Dennis Allen. The Saints are 2-5. and five. The Raiders who fired Dennis Allen are coming to town. And even though the NFC South, you know, maybe there's going to be a 6-10 division or 6-11 or 7-10 division champion, but it's time. The Saints need to win a game. Alvin Kamara talked this week about how players need to be playing for pride. I mean, Dennis Allen needs to light that fire. I've said all along, Sean Payton's gone. Somebody's got to replace everything Sean Payton brings to the table. It's time for the Saints to get a win. Huge difference, as we've said, between 2-6 and 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 3-5. The Saints need this one. Show me something, head coach Dennis Allen. With that, we'll take a break. When we return round three of the Show Me Something draft for week eight, we'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.
All right, here we go. Round three of the Show Me Something draft for week eight. Peter King, you're up. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Now, many people in America will not see whether Trevor Lawrence can indeed (laughs) show us something because the 9.30 a.m. Eastern time game is on ESPN+. So if you don't have ESPN+, you will have to listen somewhere on the radio to see if uh, Trevor Lawrence can show us something. Maybe you could hear it without seeing it. But this game, to me, says a lot about Trevor Lawrence because he's not had a great year so far. He's been okay. And it's about time that the first pick in the draft in 2021 starts playing like the first pick in the draft in some year. Show me something, Trevor Lawrence. Show me something, Josh Allen, for one very simple reason. I am not going to be the lone wolf on Football Night in America for the third straight week. I picked the Cowboys when everybody else picked the Eagles, and the Eagles won. I picked the Steelers when everybody else picked the Dolphins, and the Dolphins won. I'm not picking the Packers. Nobody's picking the Packers. Josh Allen, don't let us down your only hope. That's it. Enjoy the weekend. See you Monday. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.